Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. What I'm going to talk about tonight is about a fundamental transformation of how the world works, about how energy is delivered across Earth. We have this handy fusion reactor in the sky called the sun. Okay? <laughs> you don't have to do anything. It just works. <laughs> Shows up every day and produces ridiculous amounts of power. What's really needed to transition the world to sustainable energy? Is this actually possible? Is it something that is within the ability of humanity to actually do, or is it some insurmountable, super difficult, impossible thing? Um, it's not. So with 160 million power packs, you can transition the United States. Change the world. It's the clichéest of Silicon Valley clichés. But if you believe Tesla founder Elon Musk, who made that enormous presentation last week to oohs and ahs and wows and gee whizzes, that's exactly what his Powerwall home battery pack will do to civilization, weaning us from our addiction to dirty power plants. Seriously? Dig it like a shovel, rhyme devil on a heavenly level. Bang the bass, turn up the treble. Oh yeah, getting kind of heavy. It's getting, it's getting, it's getting kind of heavy. We're going to discuss the prospect of, of Tesla and changing the world, this holy grail battery pack power wall with a, a bevy of really learned guests today. In studio with me is Craig Shealy. He's a regular on our program. We call him the Accidental Banker. He heads up the Energy and Commodities team at Cary Street Partners. How are you, sir? Hey, Robin. How are you? Good to be uh, here very today. Great. And, and joining Craig uh, right next to him is his... Uh, Romance, Henry Clifford. He's president of Livewire, which is the largest home technology services company in Central Virginia. Henry just put in an application to be an official Tesla installer. Now, why is this a bromance? Yes, they take their kids out to the Cub Scout outings and Boy Scout outings and whatnot, but these guys also took a full day mandate to the nearest Tesla store in Washington, D.C., so we're going to get into that. So first things first, Craig. What did you think when you first saw this presentation, knowing that you're a Tesla fanboy yep. and, you know, Elon Musk is not the newest thing in the world. Everybody's been talking about the Model S and everything this company's been doing with cars. But when he came out last week, uh, were you skeptical? Well, I mean, I I was excited. I was excited for what they what they had to to talk about. I think I think what he's what he's trying to achieve here on a couple levels, both for his own business as well as for uh, the energy market in general, I think he, you know he recognizes a big problem, and he's really doing everything he can to solve it. I mean, the whole obviously, um, this this is a big a big step in that direction. I mean, from a company perspective, you know, let's face it, they've got to sell a big number of batteries, right? Whether those batteries are going off in the form of cars or whether they're going into and homes. Let's unpack that. Having just, yeah. um, you know, uh, he's in the middle of building this multi-billion dollar right. giga, factory giga out factory. west in the desert. Right. And he's making a huge bet, a huge flyer on Correct. the future of how central batteries, big batteries, right. with enormous uh, battery packs such as the kind you find beneath a Tesla are going right. to affect our, our consumption habits. Right. And his thesis is, you know, if I build a, a, I build a factory um, of this scale and scope, then you know I can get my cost of production, my incremental cost of production down uh, on a on you know more of a silicon economics type curve, right? And so, you know, he's got to find ways to sell batteries to do that. So, I mean, from a certain perspective, it is there, there is a certain self-serving. We've got to you know make the business model work. On the other side of it is, I mean, I think he's he's touching on some really important points, which are you know the reality is the sun shines in the middle of the day, and that's not 
when uh, peak demand for electricity is. So what what do you need to load balance? Well, a battery, right? Um, uh, same thing, not just with solar, but with load balancing energy costs. Same thing with um, producing uh, or, or delivering electricity to locations that aren't even connected to the grid yet. Um, and so there's, you know, he threw the stat up in his talk. There's still 1.2 billion people on the planet. I mean, we talk about people not having broadband internet connections. Like there's still 1.2 billion people on the planet that don't have uh, power to, to their homes where they live. Now, Henry, you here, you know, you're in a very intensely civilized place. You guys do a lot of high-end wiring, stereo systems, smart electronics, uh, you know, the, the, the Internet of Things type house. Uh, the people who are out there buying solar are not exactly doing it or installing rooftop solar, whether residential or commercial, uh, for uh, reasons that utilities are prohibitively expensive, traditional coal or natural gas burning. In fact, we've had oceans of natural gas discovered under the United States over the last five years. So what is the urgency for people to put solar panels on their roofs? Yeah, so first, thanks for thanks for having me, Robin. Uh, oh, you, great, you know I got great nothing to be here love. with you guys. Yeah. And, and Craig, as always, nice to see you as well. So uh, what we're seeing, and, and we started installing solar in 2008, and we saw it. Uh, we saw sort of a, a demand curve spiking sharply, and we decided at the time it was a great time to get involved. And so we partnered uh, with uh, with with a guy who'd been involved in solar for the last 30 years, and quickly saw that the applications were were pretty varied. But the two types of systems that we we started installing, um, the first was probably the most popular type, which is you install solar panels on your roof during the day, the sun shines, and you're selling electricity, um, you know, back to the grid, essentially. Uh, at night, um, you know, you're, you're basically consuming a lot of that energy that you've basically just, you know, sold during that day. So with batteries, um, a lot of systems that we were installing at the beginning were prohibitively expensive, and batteries just didn't enter into it because, you needed a big room off the side of your house. These batteries weighed thousands of pounds. You needed a forklift to get them in and out. The maintenance on them was uh, was just, you know, you needed somebody to come over a couple, three times a year. And then the fire hazard was also something that uh, we saw because of improperly installed systems. So a lot of really bad press, really bad word of mouth. And so now what we're seeing is with the introduction of the power wall comes a new opportunity to expose uh, not only solar, but also the, the notion of a battery backup to an entirely new audience. Now, let me get this, let me get this straight, because I, I, I don't think a lot of people understand that selling your power, your surplus power back to the grid, you know, if you're in a region that, I don't know, Dynegy or Dominion or Florida Power and Light or Con Edison, is it necessarily guaranteed that they're always in the market to buy excess generation? I mean, they're out there burning coal and oil and natural gas, and it seems like they have more than enough. So it goes state by state. And at least in Virginia, uh, the, the Dominion and the other electrical companies that operate in the state are required to uh, to buy excess energy from you, call what's called a power purchase agreement. And so it's not it's not exactly straightforward to do it. You have to get some uh, paperwork from from Dominion, and it's ten or twenty pages long, and and you have to have it submitted and filed, and 
and the process is not not straightforward. And at that point, Dominion has to pay you um, not not a premium, but pays you basically a, a straight swap for any excess energy that you produce. So is Dominion, the, Dominion, for example, actually taking that surplus and moving it to your neighbor? You know, the the the, the lowest common. You know the path of least resistance to another place that is demanding it in excess. So as opposed to transmitting it from the power plant over 20 miles, if you're throwing it off like on your corner lot, then it could uh, provision it immediately to people down the block. Yeah. So the way that the the way that alternating current works, or the way AC or electricity works, is it think of it like a swimming pool. All you're doing is pouring a cup of water back into the pool. And so to the degree that somebody next door needs that cup of water that you just poured into the pool, you know, then it's going to be consumed. And your neighbor's got a meter, so they just they just essentially bought what you just sold Dominion. So hmm. it's sort of a net zero transaction, uh, if you think about it. Dominion is, is not entirely happy uh, about having to do net metering because um, they view it as, um, you know, a situation where you know, they sort of see the writing on the wall as down the road, renewables becoming more and more of a piece of the pie. Uh, and so you see a lot of states pushing back on net metering legislation. Uh, and the other interesting thing is that you'll never see a check for that amount. It's only a bill credit. And so if you have a super efficient home, a home that produces enough electricity where you don't ever have a power bill to over-engineer that system to where you're actually selling more than you need is actually you might as well uh, just kiss that goodbye because no, you're not getting that right. back. Well, Craig Shelley, talk to me about that because there is with even people who buy hybrids or someone who's looking to spend ninety five grand on a Tesla. Right. Uh, there's always this calculus: what am I paying for uh, hydrocarbons versus this promise of self sufficiency or, or electric charging or whatever it is? Yeah. I mean, I always thought the big impediment to installing rooftop solar was the huge upfront outlay. You know, there are great financing solutions yeah. that let you compare it apples to apples to say the $200, 250 dollars check I write to the utility company right. every month. But how does this change the calculus? Well, I think it changed the calculus because, as as Henry was mentioning, I mean, up to now, the battery solutions have really been unattractive, really expensive, unreliable. So all the things we and again, the battery on. solution because the sun is out there load, when it is you out, you're loading balance, during the day. Right. So this is again back to the you know the sun shines. Think about it this way. The sun shines when typically energy is at its cheapest. So to Henry's point, the you're getting sort of the lowest possible price per kilowatt hour while you're actually generating, unless you can actually store that power and then use it. When Wait, hold on. Why is that the case? You think peak energy use is when people are out there, all the offices downtown are blowing these massive HVAC units and air conditioned units uh, and civilizations yeah. chugging ahead and the malls are using... Air no, conditioning your, your, units. Your, I thought your that, peaks, that the evenings no, are your peaks are yeah your pe- evenings and um, mornings and evenings are your peak power usage times, and so like during the day yes you have commercial usage which you know is kind of your base load, um, but but when everybody goes home and you know starts blow drying their hair and taking a shower and you know turning on the washing machine and all that that's what actually when you have your peak loads that and in the morning. So at its very minimum, a smart battery technology or something that's stackable like the Powerwall, which is not an eyesore, which is modular, yeah. which can be put almost like a museum piece, not necessarily in a garage. I mean, yeah. they're various colors. It's really state-of-the-art looking um, 
that's something that at the very minimum can smooth out how we're using. Forget yeah. the solar panel, right? Well, it, but it adds a lot of value. Yes, it, so you could you can draw it. You could actually charge it. That's one of the suggested uses for it is that you literally just charge it during the day at at uh, at you know low low demand times, and therefore you're paying. You know, I don't know. It depends on where you are, but let's say four or five cents per kilowatt hour, maybe six, versus sort of a peak demand time where you might be paying ten, twelve, maybe even more, maybe even fifteen, depending on where you are, cents per kilowatt hour. So you know, there's a big there's a big arbitrage there in being able to draw the power down when it's cheap and when it's not in demand. The other thing too, just from a you know, and that's still good, by the way. I mean, that's still good from a load balancing perspective, from an environmental perspective, because you know the power companies like Dominion, they have to build their systems to to meet peak demand, right? Which means they have to build power plants to build peak demand. So to the extent you can you know smooth out those peaks by load balancing with batteries, then that's just less capital that has to go into and less fossil fuels that have to be burned to to meet that peak demand. You say load balancing. Both of you said load balancing. I warned you gentlemen before this, and don't make me get a gong, you know, thing. <laughs> if you use the term flux capacitor on this show, you're never coming back on, all right? Doc! 1.21 gigawatts, Doc! Henry, right. I want to understand. So when Elon Musk is out there giving this breathless presentation, you're going to change the world for $3,000, $3,500. is not really the beginning of it, because what is a fully loaded cost of a residential install? Let's take a four-bedroom house on a half-acre lot that is looking to cut its power bill, its monthly power bill, by, what, 40%. They're going to have to buy one or two of these batteries, and what? So it, what's interesting is, uh, w especially when talking about solar, is that in order to really offset your consumption in, in the average home, uh, the, the amount of solar you'd need is, is pretty substantial. I mean, you basically need to fill an entire field up in your backyard, even with the highest efficiency solar that's out there. So the, it's, it's not necessarily about what's needed to power the house for days on end. At the end of the day, this is a this is a backup strategy for 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 Tesla. They're taking a line item that's already exists in the family budget, uh, which is a backup generator, or the thought that maybe one day uh, I want a backup generator. And they're looking at the appliances in the home, and the game is really to first make those appliances as efficient as humanly possible before you spend one dollar on backup or $1 on renewable energy. The first thing you want to do is really make sure that your refrigerator and your washer, dryer, all of those are fairly up-to-date and that they're energy star rated. and that you, you mean the low-hanging fruit before you reinvent the wheel and putting stuff yeah. on your roof? We find it's very common when we go out to a customer's home. The first thing they'll want to start talking about is how many, mo you know, how many solar panels, how many solar modules can you fit on the roof, and... You know, I want to. I want as much as possible, and it's fun to talk about that. It's shiny. Yeah, because the obverse is Jimmy Carter sitting there in his cardigan in the White House telling you to turn down the thermostat, right? Yeah. And look yeah. what happened to Jimmy Carter. Ronald Reagan ripped off his rooftop solar panels, he sure right? Did. He sure did. <laughs> so what what we see with the Powerwall? No offense, Jimmy it, Carter. No yeah, offense. I, I'm sure he's fine. I, I what we see with the Powerwall is the 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 very approachable notion that hey. Now, instead of having to go to the Home Depot or Lowe's to get, uh, to get a, a, back, a backup generator and put fuel in it and wonder if it's working every six months or during hurricane season, now I've got this 7-inch this, uh, deep 
uh, as you say, museum piece, you know, sitting on my garage wall, I can show off to my friends. And if the power goes out, you know, I'm good to go. And I think most, to Craig's point, most, uh, most Americans don't understand that there's really two different ways that you can buy your power from the power company. Uh, the, the first way is sort of an all-you-can-eat flat, you know, flat rate program that we're all on for the most part right now. In other words, you know, every hour of the day is metered the same, whether, you know, whether it's 8 o'clock in the morning or 8 at night. So it's leveled out. So the power company levels you out. But imagine if you had a power wall, if you had a battery backup solution like this. Well, now... That would you, variableize the cost yeah, better? it turns the tables. So now you're sort of in the... You're at the negotiating table now, and you're able to sort of pick and choose when you decide to take on board most of your power during the day. So if you... You can then call up the power company and say, I want to be on this other plan where basically says, you know, for each hour of the day, there's a certain value. And you might find that at, say, 3 a.m., where it's a really low-demand time, you want to take on board most of the power that you're going to use for the next day. And that's going to save you a tremendous amount of money. You marry that up to the fact that a, a home generator is is something that is that has kind of a, you know, a, a, an understanding. I think the three of us could all agree that we all understand what a, a generator is. Um, and it, it marries those two up quite nicely. Uh, we are talking to Henry Clifford, president of Livewire, which is the largest home technology services company in central Virginia. It's in line to be an official Tesla Powerwall installer, and customers are already calling you, right? Oh, yeah. And Craig Shealy is pal, who's a regular, the accidental banker. He heads up the energy and commodities team at Carey Street Partners. Uh, Craig, you also have a lot of experience in alternative energy uh, when biofuels were really all the rage when oil hit, yeah. broke $145 a barrel. That keeps a market like this honest historically, where you get peak interest in renewables yeah. and um, uh, uh, venture capital is out there funding things like this. Right. I want to know what ooze did Tesla emerge from in that all of a sudden, it's 2015, According to a great uh, research analyst, um, Andrea James at Doherty and Company, she covers Tesla's battery technology really well, by the way. Uh, she says Tesla's battery IP is five to 10 years ahead of its competition. Its manufacturing plant in Fremont, California, which I believe used to manufacture Toyota, Matrixes, and a Pontiac, not the That's Aztec, right. but some other vehicle. It's a game changer. It <laughs> allows Tesla to make hundreds of thousands of vehicles per year and was purchased at about five cents on the dollar. Like this is a guy who kind of swooped yeah. in. I, I you know, everybody suddenly started paying attention to him in 2012 and 2013 when the Tesla vehicle was not just a curiosity. It was actually it was actually an aspirational luxury vehicle that competes right. with with some of the best vehicles out there. Now right. there's a wait list to get it. Um, point is, he gets S done. And the bet yeah. now with a lot of people on Wall Street who give him blank check, genius, um, you know, benefit of the doubt, company's worth almost $30 billion. Yep. He's worth $8 billion. If he just wanted to mail it in, he could. That he's going to get this done. I just want to say one thing about Elon Musk. I mean, I I think that the world needs more Elon Musks. I mean, that that I, I mean, must, I must, I must improve my Musk. Go yeah, ahead. okay, uh, that was rough. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, maybe save that for another show. But I just have to tip my hat to him. I think he certainly a lot of people have said this about him. He he is he's challenging the world and himself and you know people around him to do things that just haven't been done before. Um, and pushing us to you know some really interesting new levels 
and 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 I think it, to a certain degree, opening people's mind to the possible, right? Um, where where a lot of people said, "Oh, that's not possible. You'll never do it." I mean, he's come a heck of a lot, right? Farther because after all, Tesla itself, yeah. Tesla itself was a punchline in two thousand ten. Yeah, people, no, you know, we saw we saw brakes. what happened. We saw what happened to uh, General Motors and its experiment with the electric car, and how Volt has lackluster numbers now. We see right. it with the Leaf, and I guess Nissan, and right. you saw uh, Fisker. Flame out, you you know, better place the Israeli battery yeah. modular company. Right. That this this landscape has been littered with kind of you know train oh, yeah. wrecks. Yeah, no, I mean, the, and the thing that 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 he did or, or that the company has done with his leadership is, you know, they they really and truly took a completely different view, not just of cars but the whole concept. And I mean, I I will never forget when when Henry and I had our little uh, you know bro date up to to the to the Tesla store. The thing that struck me the most, and the the the, the aha moment for me, because I was a little bit skeptical. I mean, I was I, I thought the car was super cool, technology super cool, love what this guy's trying to do, but I was a little skeptical. And then we we went and we we like you know let's go check this out, let's go see what this is all about. So we got in the car, we drove up to DC, we uh, we you know spent some time at the store and the aha moment for me was actually not looking at the the car it was looking at the chassis they had a they had a naked chassis there you like right? the undercarriage don't you i love the undercarriage i love me some undercarriage naked undercarriage is my favorite the the thing that was just so impressive about it is it is a tub of aluminum with a big electric motor on it clamped around clamped an, around an a axle. battery yeah around yeah Pure torque, just, just, and just the the simplicity of that, and it, it, the aha moment was like, oh my goodness, this this thing could run forever. I mean, right? I mean, it's like, you, I mean, it's, I mean, it's nothing like, it's nowhere near as complex as the, um, as if you were to, you know, strip down your 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 uh, Toyota Hybrid that you drive around in so proudly, Robin. That it it is a far more complex mechanical beast. Uh, under that bad boy than it is in this thing. And that is the beauty of it. And that's what made me go, oh, I get it. I see what this guy is doing. It's, it's, he's got this, he's put this beautiful sex appeal wrapper around this thing, but that's where the magic is, right? It is this just, I mean, you would be. And it's quite a zero to 60 beast, isn't it? Oh, it doesn't, yeah. it? it just, you know, it, there's it, this whiplash element rush. of it. It's not like you're, but you, you do have range anxiety, obviously, with yeah. any vehicle like that, but. Uh, the people in California, you know, he has a great uh, thing going on where if you're driving from San Diego to the very top of the state, but, he has these but you charging look, stations. You look at all these other electric cars, Robin, all these other electric cars out there, they have taken the old car model, right, and just tried to make it electric. And I understand why they did that because, you know, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? And so if you're a traditional car company – you think I'm going to build a traditional car and I'm going to put an electric motor in it. Well, they didn't do that, right? And so the that that I think and and then you know I, I just see this this battery strategy is just the next step for that. Now, I mean, we, you you brought up the the research on the equity research on the stock in the company. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. Um, you know, Wall Street seems to believe that. You know, he can do no wrong. Uh, the, and by the way, Craig, it's not just a paper gain thing. I remember when yeah. the stock had its huge first spurt. This yeah. guy is so badass. And again, this is not hagiography. That he comes out, the stock runs up enormously. He sells a ton of it to pay back the Department of Energy. Right. And then he says, I'm going to buy a ton of the stock, too. 
right, right at the same time. And right. if you look at uh, the proxy statement in this company, again, he's already worth $8 billion. He's got other things going on, spaceship. He was part of the PayPal mafia. Yeah. He made his first $10 million years ago. He yeah. he could not really care less about finances. He's got the Hyperloop thing in California. I mean, well, well, he's, now, he's a very Jetsons guy. But if we look at the – we're talking about this. The but, proxy statement, the board of Tesla knows that they almost in a masochistic way – Right. They need to incent this guy with ridiculous hurdles. Yeah. And it's morphed into this kind of change the world mentality. You know, yeah. this presentation that we started this episode with that he gave last week, he points out that all we have to do is take a tiny little piece of uh, the yeah. grid on the map of the United States. And if we theoretically blanketed that with solar panels, the United States would be uh, really kind of getting a free ride on the sun. Well, of course, now, you couldn't do that without batteries, right? Without his batteries, right? Because so it's great salesmanship. I mean, oh, Steve yeah. Jobs has sold us a lot less yeah. with more hype, yeah, right? Yeah, I know. He's, he's, I mean, he's basically, you know, here's the problem. I mean, to, to his credit also from from a sales perspective and, and marketing perspective, he's like, you know, here's the biggest problem the world has ever faced. By the way, here's a solution. <laughs> Oh yeah, my company makes it. Right. I mean, you know, so it so it's not it's not that it's not self-serving. I mean, it is, but I mean it it seems like it could work. Now, you know, having said all that, I mean, it's not I think the question is how quickly are people going to adopt this? Um, you know, the question is how long will Wall Street continue to give him a pass? All right? I mean, his cost of capital relative to what he's doing is extremely low. And, and money is generally free in an environment like money, this with the Federal Reserve at just, low interest rates. A lot of people think free, but it's cheap. A lot of people yeah. think you could do a lot worse than to take a flyer on Elon Musk. He's being right. called the Tom Edison of his generation. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, Tom Edison, Tony Stark, I mean, you know, all, all these great, you know, uh, um, comparisons. But but I, I wonder if he can build a flux capacitor. I think he can. I think, I think, he can. The, I think the one I thing I think that, he's got an Iron Man suit. I think I think also something to look at is, is the vertical integration. Yeah. I think I think that that is huge. Explain that. Well, uh, I know it, I, I kind of went flux capacitor there. I'm sorry. So, you you get a company, a, a marketing company, like Tesla. You get a guy, an evangelist like Musk, and you you, you know, they have the marketing. Um, you you look at what they did initially with the the uh, original Roadster. Right, that was a lotus. That was a lotus body. So they weren't end to end at that point. And I feel like they hired some guys from Mazda to do the industrial design, and which which eventually created the Model S sedan, which is now going to lead to to other models that are about to come out with a crossover called the the X. So you're saying that he wants to the control freak in him wants to control the entirety, well, the continuum of the experience, the batteries, all the way to the showrooming, the the uh, tablet that you order them on, uh, the peculiarities of charging stations up and down the coast. He's not leaving yeah. any of this to the supply chain. Well, not only that, yeah. yeah, not only that, but you become the supply chain. And so, look at Gigafactory One. By the way, the number one follows the, the word Gigafactory, which implies what? M many more to come. Yeah. And so, the capacity for this this factory to produce batteries, first of all, floods the market. And forget about Giga. You know, the the Gigafactory. Point five, which is this Fremont old abandoned Pontiac Toyota yeah. joint venture factory, which he took after kind of in the ruins of 2008, 2009. It tells you what he can do yeah. actually with an incentive system in California where, you know, California has its own issues, has blackout issues, has a, a surfeit of sunlight, has 
a lot of you know more forward thinkingness in terms of uh, utility regulation because they had a near death experience. A lot of people forget in two thousand one, where there were rolling blackouts and they were held at gunpoint. So uh, that state realizes with population density and the shifts and the grid being uh, as unsafe as it is. I mean, Craig, weren't we in New York? In uh, 2003, when there was that big blackout that started with some little quirk in the Midwest, I mean, people forget this is not a robust grid to begin with. So there's a lot of improvement. Yeah, there is. And that, you know, that's one point. I mean, he made that point um, in in the made, made several of those points uh, in his talk, right? When he when he talked about Powerwall, when he launched Powerwall, one he talked about how Gigafactory is is Gigafactory one, and, and he and he even described it as the factory itself. Is a Tesla product, right? I don't know if you picked yeah, up yeah. on that. I mean, he so he was basically saying, "Look, we'll build." He, it's he, like the Amazon distribution centers. It was almost like a, was almost like a yeah. It was almost like a, well, you think Amazon is an interesting analogy, right? Because they opened up their web services so you can rent. You know, you can rent their computing infrastructure. And basically. by the way, Amazon Web Services is using Tesla power. It is. It is. And he made it a point at that presentation to say, "Ladies and gentlemen, this here presentation is brought to you by our Powerwall right. units. Look at the rear wall." Right. Um, it's it's really amazing to think that. And and he took some interpolations. You know, if you have this many, the United States becomes self-sufficient. If you have two billion units, right. the entire world, including transit, because well, there's something beautiful, something poetic, well, something biblical about. We have this riddle, this natural riddle. The sun is giving us unlimited amounts of it. It shows up for work every day. We're going to have it for several billions of years. Why do you need to be out there bringing out reconstituted dinosaurs and plants and burning them off and choking civilization? It's almost an evangelical, uh, you know, it's like a natural riddle. And, and, and he kind of alluded to this. And you've even yeah. seen it in countries like Israel. In the founding of Israel, if you go to certain countries in the Middle East, no one has electric hot water heaters. They use thermal solar for the top because why waste that opportunity, even if it shaves a mere 5% off national power consumption, right? Mm -hmm. The point is there's a lot of low-hanging fruit here. Well, and I, I mean, I see him potentially productizing uh, the factory, right? He, I mean, he's giving away all of his intellectual property, right? He's open-sourced everything. And he said the Powerwall, just like the car, just like all their innovations, they're putting it out there for the open-source community to innovate on top of. So, you know, he he wants – it's very clear that, that they they want – uh, other people to take what they're doing and 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 innovate on it, right? Um, so it's you know it's also got that sort of developer feel to it as well, where you know you put out a software platform, you put out a technology platform, and then you go get other people to innovate on it. I mean, obviously it's it's very grandiose scale. It's not like you know a developer in their in their in their garage is going to come up with a you know. Okay. Yeah. Now Henry Clifford, Henry Clifford, in the in the minute or so we have left with you. Uh, before you head back and work the phones to become Tesla's official dealer. How many kids do you have? Three. Three. And I want to know, what are the chances, think about this, close your eyes for a minute, what are the chances that your grandchildren are going to be shown that Elon Musk presentation, all 20, 25 minutes of it, in science or history class 100 years from now? I think the chances are pretty good. You heard it here first. Henry Clifford, president of Livewire, the largest home technology services company in central Virginia. He is all over this Tesla battery installation opportunity. Uh, I will have you back on the show to tell us how this rolls out uh, in seven or eight months. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks again for having me. And we'll be right back. Full disclosure. Stay with us.
Disclosure, thank you for joining us. We're talking power to the people and the big Tesla Powerwall opportunity. But first, a thought. Life is funny. Skies are sunny. Bees make honey. Who needs money? Monopoly. I'd love to change the world, but I don't know what to do. So I'll leave it up to Elon Musk. What do you think about that, Steve Levine? Yeah, he. Uh, that, I, that, I think you're blindsided. So let me introduce you first. That's Steve Levine. <laughs> that wow. is Steve Levine, author of The Powerhouse: Inside the Invention to Save the World, and Washington correspondent for Quartz. Thank you so much for joining us. What an opener! That was pretty good, Robin. And we have in studio Craig Sheely, uh, the accidental the accidental banker, a regular on our broadcast. He heads up the energy and commodities team at Cary Street Partners. So um, if you guys want to take five seconds to kind of shake off that ickiness. I'm cool with that. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna just say for Steve's benefit, I, I can I can assure you he he doesn't usually sing like that. So I just want to apologize. World pollution. Uh, There's no solution. Maybe there is. Maybe there is. Steve, what do you there think? Is a solution. That's really open ended. By the way, that song is "I'd Love to Change the World" by Ten Years After, which is really a, a great song. And is Elon Musk gonna change the world? He could. If anyone could, he can. Um, we what we don't know is if anyone is going to. But but the stakes are very high and the payoff very big, and he's he's really throwing it all in. It's a big risk. Now, what are the what are the main? Were you were you very surprised when he came out last week and kind of made these grandiose pronouncements that if we roll out this many things, that actually we can do this? I mean, this is a person who has a good track record, great efficacy, but it is in building a niche vehicle, right? He's not yet a world changer. We can't quite say that yet. There's almost optionality on this. You're taking a flyer on him. Short answer, I was not surprised because he's, uh, he, he, he's known for making you know, very grand um, statements, grand goals. Uh, I'm going to live on Mars. I'm going um, to create a, a vacuum tube connecting San Francisco and Los Angeles. So, so we're not surprised when he says that he wants to put a battery in every home on the earth. Um, it's look, it's a long shot. As I was saying, he, he needs to bring down the cost by two thirds. Um, he, he needs to come up with a financial package that makes people want to uh, to buy and put put a battery in their garage. But this is the kind of thing re, uh, where you could see this going viral. You could see Everyone in your neighborhood suddenly wanting one of these. Now, Craig, you know, you know, you know, he did, he did flick at this opportunity yeah. that we were all worried about. You know, one of the development goals, if you think back to the 1990s, was how many people on this planet have a phone line or access to a landline, and that was all obviated by the enormous success of the cell phone. Right. There are farmers in Kenya now who use it to get text messages about, uh, you know, cr- uh, weather and crop yeah. reports. People in sub-Saharan Africa and Bangladesh use it to pay. Uh, workers. I mean, yeah. it's completely it's, it, the, the leaping, the leapfrogging has already happened. And he's similarly saying that we don't have to worry about getting whatever one and a half billion dollars, one and a half billion people in we'll places like yeah. Nigeria yeah. or elsewhere on a rickety grid when we can actually uh, leapfrog it similarly with battery technology. Uh, there, there's some real truth in that. I, I want to ask uh, Steve one thing, see, see if he agrees with this statement. I think it's, Wait, answer my question, darn it, Craig. Don't, no, don't evade sorry. that opportunity. No, no, because, look, you've had experience in wireless as well. Yes. You were 
What, you were at Nextel no, I'm gonna come Partners back to years that. ago? Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm all I, about that. I ain't that. chopped liver here, man. No, you're not. I know we've got Steve Levine. But we got Steve, and, 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 right. and, I, and I don't want to miss any opportunity. And building on, building on his comments, I, I want to ask you a question, see if you, or make a statement, see if you agree with this. I think, I think it's important to sort of separate the success or failure of Tesla as a company from whether or not Elon Musk may change the world. Right, because you know Tesla's gonna, you know, they, they may stub their toe, they may run into problems. We don't really know how all that's gonna come out. But you know what he's doing and the intellectual property that he's putting out or that Tesla's putting out. I mean, you know, even if Tesla were to flame out for, pardon the pun, but even if that were to happen, um, you know, he's he's done, he's made a lot of huge uh, uh, strides, which I think other people can can potentially build on. I mean, would you agree with that statement, Steve? I would. He single-handedly validated the electric car. He lit a fire under the the behinds of the entire major automobile uh, industry, and uh, they've he he's forced all of them to come into the game. And it's uh, what he did last week. It's no mean thing making a an appliance. That's what a battery is. And appliance look cool. Yeah. So I think he has done a lot already. You're uh, you're right. And I want to get back to your question, Robin, about the the wireless thing. I mean, I, you know, that thank was you, actually, thank you, thank you, this. I yeah. appreciate it. Well, you know, you're the you're the host. Uh, you know, nominally, gotta, sure. Go no, ahead. Nominally, me. yeah. Um, I I think that I think that the the wireless analogy, frankly, is a good one because I I mean it costs, um, you know, two hundred bucks plus or minus a foot to lay uh, gas pipelines. So people talk about how you know natural gas could be the solution for at least North America and blah blah blah. And, and that's that's true to a point. but you know 200 bucks a foot to, to lay a natural gas pipe. So I mean you know you talk about one of these batteries that'll get you what you know maybe 15 feet. Right, um, in terms of connecting a home to the gas pipeline. So if you're not right on the main lines, and I know that's not an exact analogy, but I think it, it's it's one. You know, power lines. I don't know exactly what the cost metric is. I think it's close. You know, let's call it a hundred to two hundred a foot. So, you know, and you might be able to do it cheaper in some places, depending on what the what the right of way is and all that good stuff. But but it's not free, right? It's not free to put. To lay cable, to to lay pipeline, et cetera. And also, Craig, so, you're just thinking about part of the issue again. We spoke about this earlier, Steve, yeah. with with Henry Clifford, who's installing, who's hoping to install uh, several of the devices in the Virginia area. Uh, this takes for granted some of the pronouncements that Elon Musk makes that you could have very easy, cheap, modular solar technology rolled out across the planet. I always thought, Steve, that that was the bottleneck, that that's where you had cost issues, financing issues, uh, the the drop in silicon prices, if, there, if there's enough of a kind of a uh, Moore's Law type curve uh, with that. Do you, do you take that for granted, that solar's where it's at? No, I don't. I, I think that's where he thinks it's at. But you can use the batteries in in uh, in in conjunction with natural gas or with coal. Yeah. If you're yeah. you know you're you're right here. You know I'm right here in Maryland. They burn coal here to to produce the electricity. And in, in, if you you could install all nine battery units in, in your garage and uh, you know save a lot of money. I, I think he left a piece out though. The the thing that made smartphones go people didn't buy smartphones because they wanted to make a phone call one they thought they were cool and the second thing are all these apps right yeah yeah, yeah. 
Uh, so so the, the batteries don't have apps, but they are cool. He needs to come up with a financing uh, p- package. No one pays the full freight, or, or very few people pay the full freight on a phone. They get a deal through their through their uh, cell phone. Yeah, it's an amor- it's an amortization schedule, really. And then if you can compare that, at least in the developed world, to what you're paying the power company every month. Right, and 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 then he raised the point of the 1.4 billion people on the Earth who don't have any electricity at all. Um, and and you could see a, a situation in that case of twinning solar, cheap solar with one of these battery units, or incidentally, it doesn't have to be Elon Musk. LG and Samsung have, have units that, that, uh, that are similarly priced, and they have the advantage of, they, they have the manufacturing skill. They may bring, bring down the price much faster than he does. But you could see solar, their batteries in India, Africa, Steve, well, in your reporting trenches in the wake of the solar glut of the last four or five years where there was an overproduction period after uh, uh, oil prices broke $140 briefly in 2008, um, uh, this this obviously led to good things much in the same way that there was an overcapacity of, of broadband fiber, which led to... Uh, you know, uh, an increase in globalization and call centers in India opening up left and right in 2001 and 2002. Um, do we see that the price and the learning curve and the technological curve of solar has has kind of fallen enough? You guys have written about this at Quartz to make it competitive, especially now with, I think, the marginal cost of natural gas-fired plants in the United States, which are the industry standard. It's competitive in a lot of places. It's not competitive everywhere. Um, so, so they, 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 they still have room to bring down the price, but it's on that track. It's going to get there. It's, it's not as much of a stretch as it is to Im- Im- imagine, uh, battery prices getting there. Well, then let's go, let's stop and let's go from, um, let's go away from Sedona and Tucson and Palm Springs for a minute, Craig, mm-hmm. to Lagos, Nigeria, a booming okay. megalopolis, right? right. 20 million plus people in a city built for closer to 12 or 13 million people. Uh, there are always these rolling blackouts. And if you're anyone of any import, if you're any decent hotel there, you have a diesel generator. Right. You can't run business without a diesel generator. Right. Um, how would something like this work in a country like that, where really the power capacity is super screwy, you can't yeah. take anything for granted? How? Because he, he did mention that this is, this is a, a huge solution for the third world. Yeah. I think it is. Um, I think that uh, you you look at you look at the cost of you know fuel oil diesel generation. It's you know north of fifteen cents at best per kilowatt hour. Easily gets up into twenty to thirty. How cents. does that compare to say you know U.S. natural gas fired? Uh, you know, depending on where you are in the regulatory environment, you know, four to six cents. So the dude right. pumping uh, biodiesel into his generator in Lagos, Nigeria, the restaurant owner, is paying right. effectively four times. What that's, a median U.S. yeah, that's that's probably right. Utility consumer yeah. is. I mean, on a on a you know whether he's paying that in cash terms or on you know opportunity cost terms with other applications of that biodiesel. Yes, I mean I think that's probably and it, right. this has led to crazy things. Lower I mean, you take a you take a tour of sub-Saharan Africa. You were big into biofuels, and, yeah. and and people were buying you know Jatropha oil plantations oh, in yeah. Mozambique, and other people are like switchgrass and this. Yeah, this this again, this could obviate all of that. If you're talking about well, the ultimate source, right? Sun showering. There's that great stat from HSBC or someone. If we just took 
a fraction of the of the Sahara Desert and and covered it in solar panels. You could power all of Western Europe. Well, now I mean, yeah, it's keep... whimsical thinking, right. but well, you gotta you gotta think that I mean, one thing just to just so we're all on the same page, all power ultimately on the planet is is derived in its you know origin sense from the sun. Right. There's there's no power here. Even fossil fuels are ultimately derived from the sun. Right. So uh, or were when you're eating a turkey sandwich, you are getting effectively transitive power from the sun. Yes, exactly. No, that's exactly right. I mean, all all, all, you know, uh, what is it? You know, energy never, you know, doesn't. Okay, so I'm going to push you again. So So why not cut to the chase? He's saying I'm disintermediating. Why don't I why don't I cut out the 20,000 middlemen between the, the iPad power station, the charging unit in your house, and the dear yeah. sun in our solar system. Yeah. Well, so you do have you do have a lot of, you know, if you think about the power grid, whether it's whether it's in a, and I'm sure Steve can talk to this uh, in more, more detail than I can, but... Um, well, ask him, darn yeah, it. Yeah, I, I am going to. I'm about to do that. Uh, you know, so, um, it, you know, you've got, you've got a lot of pieces which are both inefficient and efficient as it relates to delivering power to a house, right, Steve? So, you know, t- maybe if you could share with us a little bit about your thoughts on, you know, as an electron goes from, you know, the burning of coal or the burning of natural gas or what have you through the power grid, you know, to ultimately, you know, charge up your iPhone or or turn on your lights or you know, heat up the oven, right? I mean, there's a lot of loss in that, even even in the developed world, even in the United States, even in Western Europe. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of loss of power between generation and uh, and consumption. It's just a wasteful, inefficient procedure. Right. But but I don't know. Maybe maybe Steve may have some. I mean, I, I've heard different stats, but I don't know, Steve, if you have, you know, some specific data that that you know you might share in terms of you know for every you know kilowatt or megawatt. You generate at the at the big power plant. How much actually makes it all the way to your house, and you actually use when you you know plug something in the wall. The statistic that I have that that would be a cool statistic to have, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna find it out after after we talk, and then I'm gonna keep using it every time. <laughs> but but the but the one stat that I know is that in in a car that 18 percent of the energy in the gasoline you put into the tank oh, actually gosh. makes it to the wheels. Only eighteen percent. Right. And the the efficiency, if 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 you're using, you know, you're burning and it, you're automatically saving that in a battery is much much higher, far higher. Uh, so uh, that that's why an electric car ends up being so much more efficient. And it's it's not an apples to apples comparison when you're comparing an electric guitar and and combustion but the the other the other factor that you didn't raise is that uh, natural gas generators are becoming popular now too so who Elon when you know who who is going to buy the the uh, the the power packs now the power walls now it, it, it's the first movers the same people who have bought his well, let me let me cut in and make a point yeah. here. There are a lot of people who live in wooded areas where the power lines have not been uh, sunken underground, uh, and you see this uh, if you go up and down the eastern seaboard. Maybe due to climate change, the the winds, the the rain, sometimes storm season gets more ferocious and digs up enormous old growth trees and knocks down these power lines. And so 
people by themselves have been going out and buying $10,000 generators. I can mm -hmm. speak about the opportunity here in central Virginia. Uh, generator uh, uh, salesmen are, are kind of in clover. So if you had the opportunity to almost have this as a backup, this $3,500 stackable unit, that by the way, this this generator is like a you know a sideways refrigerator sitting in backyards here, and it's natural gas fired. Um, that that might be a first step to kind of getting the foot in the door, Craig. I mean, even getting yeah. this technology in the house before you reinvent the wheel and put solar panels up. I, I think that's right. I think depending on where you are, and I mean, you could definitely take advantage. Um, there are times, you know, even in the day right now where. Uh, it's cheaper to you know buy and burn natural gas if you had that type of generation capacity and and store those you know store that energy in a, in one of these batteries. So I, I don't think you know certainly not a, um, uh, a, a exclusive to pick. Um, these batteries could go with just about anything. I mean, any any type of generation capacity, whether you're you know, whether you're pulling cheap energy off the grid at the at the at the best time or whether you're you know, pulling pulling natural gas. I mean, uh, one of these Generac generators they cost about ten thousand, ten to twelve thousand dollars installed. Um, these batteries, you know, the stat I saw was that it yeah, it's going to cost three thousand or thirty five hundred, depending on which model. But you'll end up being about six to seven thousand fully installed. You got to have an inverter, um, so you're going to need a good electrician and you know an installation company like like Henry's to to come out and. But there can be all sorts of schemes, and I don't say schemes in a bad way, Steve. Yeah. That can kind of emanate from this. You have financing people out there, facilitators, much like if we take the iPhone as an analogous situation. If you were to charge everyone the sticker price for their iPhone of what six seven hundred dollars, there'd be a lot of shock. But you know, you have the likes of Verizon that come in with something like an edge amortization plan or T-Mobile lets you bring your own. Are we going to see that uh, with utilities? Are we? Are we? I mean, we knew that the entire grid was ripe for disruption, but can can it be disrupted in a way that really terrifies these protected and kind of staid and sleepy companies regionally? I'd like to take bets on this. I I personally think that the answer is yes. That that you utilities in order to in order to survive, that they're going to embrace the battery future. It may it may be Musk, it may be his competitors, but they are going to have to come in, buy these up, and offer some kind of a plan to to their customers. How do you how do you do that? It's like the cable companies. They have. Over the years, they've taken on the enormous capital expenditures. If you talk about building a power plant, whether nuclear or coal-fired or gas-fired, laying down the the you know and maintaining that plant, wouldn't these guys chafe? And and you know we're going to have a utility person on on an upcoming show. Wouldn't they chafe at this idea of having somebody kind of come in and take that entire opportunity away from them? Those are sunk costs. If the if the um, if the choice is between. Disa well, not disappearing, but go going bankrupt and surviving, they they'll choose survival. We are talking to Steve Levine, author of The Powerhouse, Inside the Invention to Save the World and Washington Correspondent for Quartz, as well as Craig Sheely, a regular on our program, The Accidental Banker, who heads up the Energy and Commodities team at Cary Street Partners. Craig, I want to know uh, what you're going to be monitoring over the next several months for the rollout of this. Obviously, there's a product lust. Yeah. Um, aspirational thing with Teslas. It's not like, you know, it's a it's a drag to be green. I mean, he's actually making green really sexy. You could yeah. actually make a statement in a mansion by having a couple of these museum pieces on your wall. Are yeah. we gonna we're we gonna see kind of the 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 tail wag the dog in that sense? Well, I'm not sure about that. I I will say this, and and this 
sort of gets to your the last series of questions. I'd love to get Steve's opinion on this too. But um, you know, if you so, Steve, let me ask this question first. Uh, when I do the numbers with again avoiding the question, man. You know what? I'm just going <laughs> to leave the studio. I'm trying to get to some meaty numbers here. Yeah, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to step back. I'm trying to give our listeners some real information. All right, I, I'm going to step. I'm, you know what? I'm going to go into the other office. Yeah, oh, go ahead. Fluff, fluff. Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm going to make myself a chamomile tea or something. Yeah, uh, yeah let, me, right. let me take off my headset. Walk it off. Yeah, Walk Craig, it off. Craig, go ahead. You, you take, you take over the interview. So, so Steve, so here's, here's, you know, when I look at sort of, uh, you know, payback periods on these things, if I'm a, if I'm a purely, you know, um, Machiavellian, you know, analyst on, on whether I would buy one or not, uh, you know, I'm seeing fully loaded. Maybe four to five year payback, maybe a little longer, depending on where I am and what my energy costs are. But to to Robin's point, even if it's a push, okay, he's guaranteeing these things are going to last for ten years, right? And so, even if it's a push, you know, if I have a financing package that basically equals on a monthly basis, you know, what my equivalent energy usage costs are, more or less. You know, I think a lot of consumers, and and I and I could be one of them, uh, would say, "Hey, you know what? I'd rather do that as long as it doesn't, as long as it doesn't cost me any more significantly." Um, you know, if it can be amortized over its useful life, and then my monthly cost is a push, uh, you know, I might be willing to make that make that purchase, even if it doesn't necessarily save me money. If it's just a effectively a break even uh, proposition. I mean, w- what are your thoughts on that, Steve? I mean, do you think that that a lot of other people have that? You know, is there a significant part of the market that has a similar mindset? And and a and then b, you know, do do, do you agree with my rough numbers there on payback times? Going backwards, I think you may be a bit optimistic on, on the payback time, but even if you add two or three years, it's it's still you know it's still reasonable. I I don't go along with the with the psychology. I think that that there needs to be for people to make a a break with their current habits, what they know, what they know from growing up, their own parents, and so on. There needs to be a a, a compelling reason. So there, there has to be a significant discount. Um, I don't think that they would go along with just uh, with, with paying this money and just getting the same thing. However, um, if the decision, if there was a command decision made by the utilities, um, by, new, by new home builders, that, they, that in every new home, they were going to install one of these. If, if there was an, an incentive that the utilities themselves got a big profit and they're telling you, hey, we're going to stick this on the side of your house for free, you're going to be paying the same bill, then people would go along with it. And yeah, that's, that's, a, yeah. that's, actually, that's actually what I see. I see new homes in, sometime in the future, not very long from now, in the next 10 years, every new home built will have one of these in it. And, uh, and and I see that far-sighted utilities that want to survive, they will offer these for for free. Just like I I have I have a smart uh, uh, meter in my home. The the utility just said, "Would you like one?" And you'll pay ten percent less per year on your bill. Sure, yeah, go ahead, stick it in. Steve, you wrote you wrote this piece uh, last week for Quartz uh, before the announcement came out. Uh, by Tesla on Friday, that Elon Musk has triggered a contagious new battery zeitgeist in Silicon Valley. Um, Apple, right before him, reported record profits for the last quarter, but its continued success 
its ability to put out an even more robust iPhone 7, 8, and so on, relies to a large degree on big improvements in the lithium-ion battery technology. The same goes for the future of its new Apple Watch. And similarly, Google founders Larry Page and Sergey Brin pride themselves as visionaries capable of changing the world for the better, especially in energy. So there seems to be almost this, this, uh, this safety net behind Musk. People are pulling for him out there. Uh, as Craig mentioned before, the company is self-financed right now. It has a significant equity market capitalization. He has sold stock. He has uh, um, uh, tapped the debt markets and DOE financing when he had to. What of this fantasy out there that if he needs to, he can go and sell to Apple? After all, there was someone at Apple's annual meeting who approached Tim Cook and said, you guys have almost $200 billion of cash. Why don't you buy Tesla? The piece that I wrote just before that was urging him to give another call to Larry Page and sell his company. Um, and is the, there a bottleneck though? What what is the bottle? Is finance the bottleneck? Is money the bottleneck at this point? I didn't think money was an object. Well, I just think if you if you put if you put autonomous functionality and and the Tesla cool together, you've got such a pat. You've got critical mass. And uh, I just think that, that 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 would be a hell of a team. Um, on that on that piece about the zeitgeist, I do think that what what you have is the biggest players in technology and also in just success, just earning and put away putting away in the bank tens of billions of dollars um, every year. Uh, though all of those companies for sure. their survival, for their their success in the future, they either need to succeed and make a super battery or they need Elon Musk to. And so they're all in the game. On that thought, Steve Levine and Craig Shilley, I know you guys are really connected and I want word to get back to Tesla, darn it. You both know that I am a really busy person. I'm in demand. Um, women love me. Men want to be me. I'm a parent. Uh, I have a book due in December. I got this show going on. I'm internationally known, known to rock the microphone, but I will make time for a Tesla loaner vehicle and uh, several battery packs if they want to hook it up, just if you guys want to get the message out to your peeps wow. out west. That's very generous, Robin. Very generous. I'm a generous a guy. guy. And I, I guy. thank you for joining us. Power to the people. Full disclosure, we are on NPR One, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, on WRIR, Wednesdays and Sunday mornings, Atari, ColecoVision, Handspring, Palm, Telex, and I'll even hand out some CD-ROMs in Times Square when I get the chance. Our engineer is John Val. Valentine. I'm Robin Farzad. Back at you next week. We want the power for the people.